Okay. Knowing that Silent Disco is taken care of. You have a beer in your hand. Come listen to Brew Theology. Brew Theology, where you can drink and get closer to your faith. Or lack thereof. We have obviously been partying here for a minute. A little bit. Some of us show all the signs. But we are proceeding now toward... This is the, the, the last part of the Goosecast stage. And it's been an amazing weekend. We have had two podcasts that have the word profanity in their name. We've had four podcasts participating in our happy hour. We have, we have gone into the purity culture movement. We have gone into... Uh, no, you would, wouldn't even come close to that. Uh, <coughs> yeah, come on, let's be real. Uh, anyway, we've had a lovely time. And since you are the people who are here, I want to personally thank you on behalf of all the people you represent who have been here through the weekend for coming and joining us, for being fans of podcasts, for probably being podcasters. And if you are, I need a business card. And, you know, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful weekend. So one of the things that makes it wonderful is that outside of recordings and outside of church, people are starting to talk about theology in public places with uh, and getting really deep. It's not like, let's go have a couple beers and, you know, and knock the other church we don't like. This is talking about really talking theology. And one of the prime examples of that is Brew Theology from Denver. Here we have Janelle uh, and Ryan here from Brew Theology, and they, they've gone to the extreme of creating curricula for you and all kinds of things. So you can do this at home. Yes, you can. You know? It's super easy. They're not saying don't try this at home. They're saying try it at home. And so let's just turn it over to them. Brew Theology, Ryan and Janelle, take it away. Thank you. All right. Good to be here. Welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Ryan, co-director Janelle, oh, to my left. We're at the Goose Cast stage. So Goose Cast, let's hear it. Come on now. Yeah. We have some special crossover guests as well. Uh, Charles from A Jew and a Gentile Walk Into a Bar Mitzvah. Is, is there a hashtag mitzvah on that too? No, not yet. Not yet. No, we'll and, work on that. And we got the bar chaplain, Tom. Also, Yay. the director of Jacksonville Brew Theology. All right, Brew Theology. Here we go. And we have Elijah Seat, as we're yeah. referring to, but soon one of you will become the, the next coming of Elijah, and you will sit in that seat. Uh, we do have a few giveaways before we go, because that's what I like. I like to give things away. I was a youth pastor for a really long time, and we just and the, the administrative pastors hated me for this, because I would just spend stupid money and just give it away to, to students, and they probably lost yeah. it. But this, I think you'll like. The, the only thing is you would have to have possibly listen to a previous Brew Theology podcast to maybe know, but I'm going to give you uh, some hints. So these are quotes based on previous theologians, activists, or politicians that we've had on the show before. And so the first quote, we've had some politicians. Who? Mm, well, I, I, I can't tell you. All right. Yeah. Well, we, so that means there's one, and I'm not if he win. says it, you're going to someone's <laughs> going right, to miss out on the giveaway. Announced is that? Or? So okay. the first quote is: "Love music, love dance, love the moon, love spirit, love love, love food and roundness and struggle, love folk, love yourself, herself, herselves, regardless." Is that one, Doctor Jennifer Leith, who is a womanist theologian? Is that? Reverend Ann Dunlap, who is all about resistance, is that Reverend, oh, Dr. Pam Eisenbaum, who is a Pauline Jewish theologian. Yeah. And there's not many of those in the world, by the way. And then there is Dr. Tink Tinker of the Osage Nation. Who was that? Somebody. Come on now, don't be shy. Was it Jennifer Leaf, womanist theology? Ann Dunlap, Pam Eisenbaum, or Tink Tinker? It's not Pam, and uh, it's <laughs> next person in the crowd. Don't be shy. You can... It is the first one. That's Dr. Jennifer Leith. You can go back and listen to that podcast. We have part one and two. Do you like IPAs that are sessionable, or do you like uh, another IPA that's a bit sessionable? 
Yeah. Yes. yes. All right. So what you have you have the uh, you can come up here and get it. This is a vintage and Denver only red koozie with a beer from someplace in North Carolina. There you go. All right. Next uh, next giveaway here for a quote is from either Dr. Miguel de la Torre who does liberation theology at ILIF. It's Dr. Yeah. He, Love in a Dangerous Time. He was on a recent episode of there. We also have Dr. Jason Whitehead, who's a process philosophy uh, theologian at ILIF. There is the Dr. Reverend Paula Williams, who is here at the Goose right now. She spoke earlier on the main stage. And Reverend Amanda Henderson, who is an Interfaith Alliance of Colorado executive director. So here we go. We can only get to real peace and real justice by first identifying those who share the same values for love equity, generosity, and freedom for all. And second, strengthening and empowering these ways of being. That's a tough one. I had to think about this one because I, I wrote this a long time ago. Is this Miguel de la Torre, Jason Whitehead, Paula Williams, or Amanda Henderson of the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado? It is. I kind of gave it away. Amanda Henderson. She's on an, an old episode. So you come on up. You also get an IPA and a Denver-only red koozie. All right. So here's, uh, here's what we do at Brew Theology. We exist to Brew Theology, and we create communities through what we think are healthy, meaningful, and eclectic dialogue in pubs. So we are more than a podcast. We are an alliance of communities across the nation. We started a couple years ago. And what was a hobby in Denver about almost four years ago has now become something very dear to my heart, uh, both locally in Denver and also the cool thing that we get to share this with other people. And even seeing Tom and realizing like he's doing cool stuff in Jacksonville and uh, other people in New Jersey are doing great stuff. So if you want to partner with us at any time, you can either go to brewtheology.org or if you're here right now, just go by the booth and talk to us later. So uh, tonight's topic is life together. It is Relational Philosophy and Interdependence, and this is written by Dan Rosado. Dan uh, is just, actually, he just yeah. had a baby, so give it up for Dan. Oh, Dan's wife had the baby. Yeah, yeah let's go. Let's, let's, yeah. And welcome baby Nora. <laughs> welcome baby Nora to the world, yeah. And it's going to be a hope-filled world, right, Janelle? Yes, it yes. will be for Nora. <laughs> Janelle and I maybe argue a bit on, on hope, the theology of hope. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a tad bit. Oh, we do have some guidelines, so why don't you go over the guidelines, and All then right. we'll, we'll get brewing. So our guidelines for conversation are no soapboxes allowed. No one person or viewpoint gets the last word. Respect all others and their viewpoints. Extend courtesy by listening well. And everything is up for discussion. And Brian, can you cover Betsy's ears? Don't be a dick. <laughs> It's okay. Earmuffs. That's all, you, like that's all you gotta do. It's yeah. okay. Just don't be a dick. Yeah. About so what what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna this is really accessible content. We're gonna read it. It's like a page and a half maybe with about four or five questions and some resources. So this is a microcosm of what it looks like in the pub. Obviously this is being recorded. So anything that we say like dick can be can be edited later. Uh, and all you have to do is Wait, say. Are it, you already editing me? It, no. I mean, if, but here. So what all we right. say, Dan. Dan actually edits our podcast. So we just start talking to Dan. And then he knows that's to, to so Dan, we love you right now. We can say whatever we want right Absolutely. now, and Dan will take we it out. We love oh, baby excellent. Nora. But we do need one more guest to join this discussion because we're all about community. Like I said, more than a podcast. So who wants to be a part of this table community tonight? Who's interested? You can jump. We make this so accessible; anybody can jump in. People do this. They actually sign up for our community events last minute and stumble into the bar. You want it? Who, you get a beer if you come up here. Yeah. And if you don't like beer, I'll make you a cocktail. <laughs> All right. We are welcoming the silent disco DJ to the table. So if you want to know what we're all going to be doing tonight at midnight, it will be silent disco. So you must come. And for our listeners, if you haven't done silent disco, it is absolutely hilarious because everyone has their headphones on. There's no music in the house that anyone can hear, and we all sing along and dance. And sometimes you can figure out what song it is by watching. It's great. I love it. If you can't tell. So silent disco man, what's your name? My name is my name is Ben Wright. Ben Wright. I'm the DJ who's never wrong because he's always been right. There it is, everybody. 
That's a good. That's a good dad joke, though. I like that. Yeah, Thank you're you. gonna be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Was that funny right here? We have a child in the audience. She's yeah. Okay, mm, kind of funny. Not so much. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're gonna introduce ourselves very briefly, our spiritual background in 30 seconds, and where we are today. So really quick, Ryan Miller grew up Southern Baptist Evangelical. Deconstructed that for 20 years. I gleaned from the Anabaptist, the Methodist, the Jewish tradition, and some Pentecostal flavor. So I'm an evolving Anabaptist, Methodicostal follower of Jesus that's very open, and my tent is very large, and I might be going to a hell if it exists. There's that. I'm Janelle. I was born and raised Nazarene. Uh, then I found beer, and so now I'm a progressive Christian. Uh, again, my name's Ben. I grew up mixed SBC CBF, uh, then became more CBF, uh, branched out a little bit into some interfaith areas, and now sort of consider myself either um, process theologian or an open theist. So trying to figure that out. Team process. Yeah, and my name's Tom. I grew up Southern Baptist. Uh, left that behind was happily uh, happily agnostic for much of college. Had a profound uh, religious experience in a bar. Got called into ministry. Uh, went into youth ministry for seven years in various Baptist traditions. So uh, actually, I'm I'm the other person up here who knows what CBF stands for. Uh, yeah, um, and then wound up going kind of Methodish. Not not Methodist. Met Methodish, uh, and now I serve as a bar chaplain. And I'm Charles, and I grew up a conservative Jew. Not conservative in the political sense, but conservative in the movement. Uh, still am today. Uh, consider myself observant, spiritual. I'm also a postmodern deconstructionist. This is going to be fun. Uh, so it is difficult. It's difficult to conceive of humanity outside of a relationship. I think we can all agree on that. Biological evolution has demonstrated that all life on Earth shares a common ancestor. Through different naturalistic mechanisms, all that we know and have known is coming to existence through complex micro and macro relationships. Now hang with me. This model changed the way that we think of the world and our place in it. It lured our collective consciousness toward the idea that we're not supernatural over nature, but fully embedded in and dependent of it. Furthermore, we now know that it's not just genes doing the work of bringing novelty into the world, but that interactions or relations between simpler entities is giving us a rise to not only more complex entities, but to properties that the simpler entities did not exhibit. Breathe a bit. So in these Abrahamic traditions that we're representing, so we see in the Bible the story of a real people getting to know their God. And we're presented with a God who is active in, in relationship with, and affected by the world. We could have people who disagree on this later. I don't know. A God who relentlessly invites and calls forth humanity to create and love in such a way to bring out the best possibility in every moment through acts of care and love for God's good creation. So for the Christian, speaking from that perspective, the call to a loving relationship with God and other is summed up in Mark 12, 28 to 34. Many of y'all have heard this before, so we'll read this. So one of the scribes came near and, and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, which commandment is first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is Shema, it's to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So when Jesus, when he saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any questions. Sort of mic drop there. Okay, so though the words quoted in this text, they appear in the Christian New Testament, Jesus was quoting commandments that you probably know, Charles, right? Found in two sections of the Jewish Torah the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So this kind of thinking places love and compassion at the heart of the Judeo-Christian practice. And the emphasis on relationship can also be seen in classical 
Christian metaphor of, of this Trinity, okay? The idea that God is in relationship of a Father, Spirit, and Son, and that as humans, by willingly participating in relationship with a member of the Trinity, that we're all in relationship with them, okay? So it's a little bit of a dance, if you will, to steal some roar, divine dance. So the concepts of radical interdependence and interconnectedness, it may seem somewhat foreign to us in the West, obviously. Our ears, do we, we don't align with that typically, but um, in Chinese and Indian thought and in e the Eastern world, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, so Shariputra, one of the Buddha's earliest disciples, he explains this concept of interdependence this way. He says, suppose that there are two bundles of reeds. They can remain standing as long as they lean against each other. In like manner, because this exists, that exists. And because that exists, this exists. If one of the two bundles is removed, then the other will fall. Similarly, without this existence, that cannot exist. And without that existence, this cannot exist. It's exhausting, but it's true. <laughs> so from our experience, traditions and texts, it appears that the relationship and relationality lie at the core of our flourishing in just a pragmatic sense. So healthy relationships nurture us and move us toward acts of loving kindness. Our survival and health depend on how we relate to others and the earth. And so we're growing. We're growing into greater awareness of this. And it's chiefly evidenced by our acknowledgement of our lack of care, if you will, and concern for the earth. And until we fully embrace the nature of our interdependence, our survival may be at risk. And the earth is going through significant changes, as we know. Uh, hashtag hoax. Yeah. So that is left unaddressed, right? It will change the nature and experience of our existence. So we, as humans, we must continue to develop connections between each other and our planet as we move into the future. And so uh, I want to thank Dan for the content. That's good stuff. And... We have a lot, a lot to talk about within that. I, I want to start with just a picture for all of us. And then after that picture, I want to give you another thing. And then you guys are going to brew this up. Because you might look at this and say, eh, this doesn't make sense at all to my tradition. And we'll talk about your actual uh, previous traditions and what mm. they would have thought about this as well. Uh, so the first image, I think, is, is this aspen grove. And in process thought, this is uh, it's this pando. It's in southern Utah. And so it's uh, the, one of the world's largest living organisms. It's uh, 106 acres, and if you've seen it, it's pretty amazing. 47,000 stemmed and 80,000-year-old. It's called the quaking aspen or the trembling giant. And it was born at this little ball. So, and they, they've said that if one area of it is affected, then the species around it's affected. And so the, the idea of this, again, is that while it looks different on the outside, that inside, beneath the soil, this, there's this interconnectedness. And that's, that's sort of the picture of the, what, what we're talking about today. And then um, next thing would be Parker Palmer, the, the Quaker thinker. He was once talking to an interfaith group, and he was saying, we, we don't know how to talk to each other. And he started using his hands as an illustration, and so he, he moves his fingers up here. He says, we're like, we're all these trees, like this aspen grove, if you will. But he starts saying things like, let's say, you know, the Jewish person is the oak tree, and the Christian is the mesquite. And then he goes and through, he says, all of you different religious people, you have your, and you talk, he says, you talk up here with his fingers, like the, the branches and the leaves. But he said, really, the conversation should be happening down in the roots, right? Where the living water, which this Ma'im Chaim, that exists. Yeah. So we're all tapping into that same soil and that same living water. And yes, there, is, there are particulars and nuances, but ultimately, that is the interconnectedness uh, within us all that we all tap into. Now, Parker Palmer may be wrong. The Pando may be a bad image, but I'm, I'm actually curious. I'm going to stop talking. What, what do y'all think as far as your own traditions when you grew up uh, in your own faith traditions? Was this idea of interdependence... Um, or independence, for that matter. I mean, what, what was given to you? What was the message that you were taught? Silence. Silence. The sounds of silence. So in my tradition, I, I don't remember anything like this at all. Um, our, uh, the holiness tradition is very much about personal holiness and personal piety. So the emphasis is on personal... Uh, forgiveness, repentance, and salvation leading to sanctification. So it didn't mean that we 
didn't belong to a church or didn't like care about those people, but none of this, none of thinking about the earth or how we affect that or even like really how we fit into our own community and how we would impact that. I just don't remember really any connections to this kind of thought. In my experience, on that same line, not just the pursuit of independent sanctification, but that sin is only individual and can only be individual. Uh, and the way to address sin is to grow, is to mature amongst the individual. Uh, in, in Judaism, it's quite the opposite. The, the emphasis is on community and transgression is communal. And e even if it's someone did this, it's still the punishment, if you will, for lack of a better word, is seen on the community. Because what one person does reflects and is part of the entire community. Uh, and, and it's why, it's one of the differences in Judaism and Christianity that salvation and, uh, well not necessarily salvation, but redemption mm -hmm. is communal. Um, it's not until very, very modern times that even the idea of an individual redemption in Judaism exists. Um, it's it's always communal, which is why, you know, the entire community was expelled to Babylon. It's why the entire community was expelled by the Romans, even though it was a certain class of people doing it. Yeah. So from the very, very beginning, the emphasis is always on community and what you do as an individual. Yeah, it affects you, but it reflects and affects everybody. Yeah. And the, oh, sorry, that. Now, I, I just, it's a follow up question with that. I'm mm. kind of curious, and I know it's different now in the modern Western world, but mm. I mean, even birth, so birthdays and anniversaries, as an individual, not really as important as the family. Well, the, those, I, are, I, those are different. That, that's celebration, yeah. that, you know, um, and, and there's a communal aspect to it. Uh, most of the life cycle events are done in community. Um, prayer is done in community, but if we're talking about our interdependence and what I do, I cannot say as a Jew that what I do only hurts me, because what I do hurts everyone in my community because we are all interconnected and interdependent. Man, Christianity, what happened? We don't have a history you guys lesson. Got a yeah. you, got, you guys got a late start. I mean, we've, we've yeah. got a few thousand. <laughs> I mean, we got a few thousand years on you, so you know. Well, and I was going to say, too, the, the communal aspect really resonates with me, mainly just seeing a different bet difference between some of the churches I grew up around and some of the churches I work with now. And admittedly, I've gone back and connected with, you know, the youth minister from the church where I grew up and kind of seen how his views have developed over time. But growing up, the only time I heard about community was if I hadn't shown up to church in three weeks. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, and then, then I might get a phone call about neglecting the community, neglecting the family. Whereas... Now, a lot of the ministers I'm working with, uh, especially tying things into the bar settings, seem to have more of an understanding of, okay, all of this is a web. And uh, mm -hmm. Ardwolf Brewing Company, the main brewery I work with, one of the uh, connections I was able to draw was there was a pastor up the street who said, you know, I've got this brewery in my neighborhood, and all of us are connected. Like, this is one neighborhood, this is one community, how can I be a better neighbor? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I hear people talking about it now in a way that I sorely missed growing up. Yeah, definitely. And, and just my own, my own background, I mean, growing up in uh, Texas, we're, we're a different breed there, obviously. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's very, very similar. It was about your personal salvation. Um, it was about your, your own sins. I mean, we did, it's funny because we did talk about the sins of the fathers, but it was in a weird way that was kind of damaging and toxic. But outside of the sins of your fathers, uh, it, was, it was really about you and uh, your own discipleship. Your, I mean, it's, it, it's just like, it's crazy yeah. that... Again, we have missed out on all these years in Western Christianity. So, well, if you're talking about the, the sins of the Father. A lot of times, it, it's misinterpreted, even in Judaism, as again an individual family suffering. But again, it's more communal, and it it's, it sets up that not only do what you do has ramifications now, but for the future. So, if you do something so damaging to the community, it might take generations yeah. to repair that. Yeah. So in, in a way, there's, there is no the Jewish way of looking at anything. Um, you know, it's very true. You get two Jews together, you're going to have 20 opinions. Uh, <laughs> but we call that Talmud. Uh, but but that, you know, that's really the lesson in that. It, it's not a literal, oh, my father did this and now I'm going to be punished. It's 
the elders in my community may have done something, and it may take two or three generations for us to repair that. Yeah. Because that's how, it, which, how deep the connections go. Contextually, that makes way more sense and is, is much more freeing, too. Mm, yeah. So, <laughs> so bar chaplain, yeah. and, and how, how does this work within... As a real, as I say, real chaplain, like when you go into <laughs> hospitals, right? No, I mean he uses his bar chaplain skills because because you are a trained CPE certified chaplain. So, uh, but actually, what, I haven't had certification yet. I'm halfway through the CPE process. I always always got. You're more legit that. than us. Let's just oh, say right, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but are these kinds of things are they are they talked about in in the hospital settings with patients? Uh, is because I know you have a range of people across the interfaith spectrum, mm-hmm. and how do you handle that? So the way you handle it is, as a chaplain, you are not there to preach an agenda. You're there to help someone reflect. And so a lot of what you're doing is just asking very open questions and trying to help people think through situations in new ways. I mean, one of the most dangerous things you can do is start trying to provide sort of pat answers. I, uh, some of the, you know, I, I do a little writing on the side. There's, there's a bar chaplain blog and everything, shameless blog. Uh, but one of the things I've found is that I wrote a series that was just called What Not to Say to People in Crisis. And when I was writing that, I put out a, a Facebook post that was like, you know, what, what are some just terrible things that have been said to you over the years? And just the stuff I got back was phenomenal. Just, you know, oh, your dad died. Well, everything happens for a reason. So, and, you know, just all of that terrible stuff. And so I wrote a series of articles. But, but what really came out of it is if you start from a place of listening instead of, oh, here's my soundbite that I need to throw in. Or, you know, oh, I need to say the words that will comfort this person. If you start from that place of listening, that can be infinitely more helpful. Your silence may be much more useful than your words, or as one of my supervisors is fond of saying, don't just do something, sit there. (laughs) And so I find that translates perfectly to a bar setting. You've got a group of people coming in, sometimes after work, you have no idea what sort of ghosts people are carrying in with them. You have no idea what someone's experiences are. There have been times where, you know, I've sat down to talk to someone who was actively going through a divorce and just needed to talk through it. And, you know, I didn't try to provide any easy answers or anything. I just asked questions, tried to reframe it. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. So we uh, can probably all agree that America, we are a hyper-individualized culture. It's all about me, it's very me-centric. But if we can now begin to acknowledge that this interdependence thing is real, and uh, it's not it's not just an ancient Jewish thing. It is all of life thing. And so Christians, come on, let's come on board with this, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm just kind of curious. So how is this going to change the way we live? How, how has this changed the way that you have lived after coming into recognition of this throughout the years as people who've been in ministry and in a variety of settings around this table? Well, and... I mean, jumping right back in, when you learn to view every environment you're interacting with as its own ecosystem, and when you learn to view every single person there as having value, working in a hospital, you know, I've seen the people, whether you are cleaning the floors or changing a patient's IV or lying in the hospital bed, everyone has value, and every single one of those relationships is so crucially important. When you learn to value everyone in your community, everyone in your environment, equally, it, it changes the whole landscape. One of the relationships that has kind of taught me this is my friend Joey, who has muscular dystrophy. I've known him since he was probably 13. And um, regrettably, his mother passed away when he was 20, and his brother was 21. And so we have walked with Joey um, through his life, through that death, through moving, through sickness, and, um, I mean, Joey has made a huge impact on me, um, just knowing uh, what it means to be in a body that's starting to fail, um, to have been with him now for almost 10 years where he is basically a quadriplegic and can basically the only thing he can move now are his eyes. And watching him go to community college and graduate with a degree in graphic design and to continue to fight to go to college even while he's in the hospital and then coming out and trying to take classes. Um, it's just been huge to, and a blessing to be part of his life and to walk with him through that. And um, it's messy and it's hard and it's, it means that someday it's gonna be really sad um, when it's time to say goodbye to him. But I'm so thankful to have been able to have that friendship and relationship. Yeah. Uh, as a educator, I'm 
um, college professor, the teacher-student relationship is obviously very central to, to what I do. And when I started out teaching, like many uh, naive, idealistic people starting out in a profession, oh, I'm going to have to change the world, I'm going to teach these kids and, you know, f stand by me and, you know, we're going to jump on the desk and carpe diem and everything. Um, and wasn't very good at it uh, and had to leave teaching for a while. But it wasn't until I recognized the relationship and had the hum um, humility to say, and I open every class every term with this, I cannot teach anybody anything. The most I can do is I can facilitate your learning. So realizing that the relationship wasn't about me, that I was not the most important part of it, but that my students were the most important and became student-centered. So all of my teaching, my classroom, my curriculum, my pedagogy is on how do I best serve my students in their journey to gain knowledge and to grow. I think we, we reflect that every week in Brew Theology. Our, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What we do wouldn't matter except for the people that come and attend. And they have become our friends and uh, people that we love and care about. And um, they, in many ways, I hope it's okay to say this, are, are my church. Um, they're the people that I love investing with, in and walking through life with. And, and that takes sitting back and saying, mm -hmm. Here's some stuff that we're going to put on the table, but letting the conversations guide us, and that guides us through different stages of their lives and what they're dealing with and going through. And I love doing that work. It's a privilege. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. as if what I mean what we're talking about is important, and we do things every week. But it's and I, I think I've said this a thousand times to you, of course. <laughs> but if the community aspect, like genuine community, is not happening people are going to leave like they do in churches and like they do across, you know, across America, you can hear the greatest preacher in the world. And yet if nobody's connecting with you in the, you know, in the pews between the times of services, you're not going to go back. Um, but to get churches in places and, and across, not just churches. I mean, I'm talking about any organization to say what you do is important, but the people within that you're connected. And it's like a captain obvious moment. I remember walking with my wife down the sidewalk after she had open heart surgery about eight years ago. And I was probably a little insensitive to her at the time. Because <laughs> she, she's like huffing and puffing. And I'm looking around at all the cars and the busyness and the bicycles. And I'm like, hey, you know, we're all, we're all connected in this. And she's like, yeah, but right now, I'm the one that's hurting. So it was, it was an insensitive <laughs> moment for me. At the same time, like there, there is, I think because she had gone through that process of, you know, getting her mm -hmm. chest cracked open, it made me look, or I'm like, oh, this, I would, yeah. And you had your, you I've, had open I've heart had, surgery had, too? Yeah. Yeah. About eight years ago. It, it changes people around you, for sure, the way we oh, see yeah. the world. Yeah. yeah. And the way they treat you. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't have said it at that time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Ongoing commentary right here. Yeah. So anybody else? Yeah. Um, as I get more involved with community, that reminder of uh, how important trust and rapport comes out in community. Even having a shared narrative is one thing, but that shared narrative often results in dialogue of giving the right answers. You've got to have that trust and rapport to get the real answers. Um, and I think of, of uh, an incident with a community I was involved with, with uh, those individuals that aren't just um, on the fringes, but the ones you just being human kind of, of, of you feel you don't really avoid but are a little annoying for lack of a better term uh, i think of an individual that uh had a very short temper um and uh was very threatening when he misunderstood things but at the same time he would uh constantly ask uh repeatedly what time is something but he knew what everybody was doing he was invested in everyone by being a detailed oriented person which felt like a nuisance, but that was his way of showing love, his way of embracing the other uh, that helped me to embrace the other in a different way, to expand my own way of loving. Hmm. Okay, so what about other, other religions? Your own theology, what, what does this interdependence do when you look at religions and different aspects within your own tradition and your own religion? How, how has this changed your theology, looking at people across the interfaith spectrum? Or are you still in your own tribe? <laughs> this is part of my faith tradition, is, is interconnected in relationship. Um, and I, I know my, my pod 
broadcasting partners over there about to say, oh my gosh, it took so long. I'm going to mention Martin Buber, um, the importance of the I-Thou relationship, yes. right? And it, it, it's amazing how Buber is so much more accepted in other faiths than he is in Judaism. Uh, part of that is cultural, because he, um, he, I, like him, is part of a cultural minority in Judaism. We're, we're actually not all the same. Um, but because of that, uh, you know, if, you, if you've ever listened or read uh, our blog or podcast, A Jew and a Gentile Walk Into a Bar Mitzvah, it's an interfaith dialogue. And because we have both approached it with an I-thou with each other, mm-hmm. how th- that has grown our own faith and strength, it has strengthened my Judaism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for Chris, it has strengthened his Christianity. You know, so be, being able to, to take that and that relationship and that vision of an I, thou, a trusting, that I can trust it if I say something, he's not going to say, oh, well, you're wrong because the New Testament says, and he knows I'm not going to go, oh, you're wrong. Because, you know, um, it, it's allowed us both to grow stronger in our own faith. Yeah. And, and I, I think in a true I, thou, um, that's there. One, one of the things that I, I hate as a... As a rhetorician is let's dis- let's agree to disagree because that's the fastest way to shut down mm-hmm. discussion because when someone says that what they mean is you're about to say something that's going to make me uncomfortable and it's going to make me question what I believe and I don't want to question what I believe because I'm happy with it yeah. so let's agree to disagree and stop talking and and that just negates that trust that if you're in a true I thou, then trust that all right, what you're going to say may make me uncomfortable, but it's not going to destroy me. And if I listen with the love that it's intended and with the openness and with trust, then maybe I can say, well, yeah, that's interesting, but no, I'm not going to accept it. Or, yeah, well, now maybe I have to change my view. So I, I think the you know, Boober's model, the I thou, um, really. It, I mean, it's, it's part of uh, yeah. Judaism and Christianity, yeah. and, and I think if we just remind ourselves of it, we get a lot of what we've already started talking about, that interdependence, trust, seeing the value in the other. Yeah. yeah. And when we shut ourselves off from that, we get really isolated, and I think it, it makes not only relationship go wonky, but theology go wonky, and I, I, actually, I think I used this last year on this recording, but... It's a, um, a metaphor that is still so true of my own tradition. We're like a fishbowl painted black on the inside and black on the outside. So if you're in the church, you can scrape away and try to see out, but you're going you're gonna to have to luck out to find someone else who has scraped from the outside to see in. And that is, the longer I do brew theology, the more toxic and horrible that sounds to me. If I can't even see my neighbor, how am I ever going to have relationship with them? And, and in my tradition, we were a holiness church. I couldn't even scrape the paint to see the United Methodist Church because they were too liberal. I remember in high school sitting in the parking lot of a United Methodist Church and feeling condemned by God that if I went in there, I would be sinning. That is toxic and evil and wrong and stands in the way of me being able to have empathy and compassion for my neighbor, my Christian neighbor, much less someone else in my high school or college that might believe different than me. And so I think that we really have to challenge um, those systems if we still have access to them and, and just keep reaching back as it is as we're able into those systems and say, come out here, come look out here. It is not so scary because if you stay in there, you're never going to find freedom or love or compassion. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, if you can't question your faith, what good is it? Well, and, and two, one of the things I I found and, you know, in, in college, I was kind of, I like to use the term agnostic Christian, like, yeah, I still kind of fall back on Christianity, but I'm open to suggestions. Uh, And one of the things I found was that there were aspects of other faiths that I was studying 
that just spoke to me in a way that my own tradition did not. And it's one of those where if you maintain an exclusive view of, you know, okay, I have a monopoly on truth, how the hell are you ever going to learn anything? That whole um, opportunity to do interfaith when I was looking at Eastern traditions in college and seeing things like Taoism and the idea that apparent binaries are not opposites but complements, that light is not the opposite of dark, but dark and light reach fullness because of that relationship, that hot and cold are not opposites but reach fullness because of that relationship, really spoke to me. And diving deeper into that, uh, gave me a tool to bring back to the tradition that I felt at home in um, and look at other expressions of Christianity to see what can be celebrated by those scary Methodists and two Catholic Episcopals to where now, you know, I've got icons in my house. And as a Baptist, you, we couldn't have a cross on the altar because that was too Catholic. Um, so it helped me to understand my own tradition a little bit deeper by looking at some of the uh, things to celebrate from some others. Uh, well, just to add to that, much to the chagrin of Chris, who's shaking his head right now because he's heard this three million times today. Uh, for all, Judaism is an Eastern religion, by the way. Uh, and uh, as a postmodernist, I reject all Western thought because the, the Yep, they were good. The, the, the basic unit of all Platonic Western thought is binary oppositions. Binary oppositions beget choice. Choice begets privilege. Privilege begets every fucking problem we have today. <laughs> I think that's a good word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so from, even from See? our... See? Somebody that is, it. I like it. So it, but from our christian tradition on this side of the table over here we have this guy jesus you just made us binary i did i did that but, I, but oh. i'm trying I'm but, but not oppositional S- right. Bi- yeah, right. we don't, binaries are fine but like I said, it's together right this guy jesus was uh, in the eastern tradition right i mean if he was a full, yeah. full-on jew in the first century so he says you know loving right loving your neighbor is kind of easy like people that you like like you know it's easy for us to typically like and love each other. Yes. Sometimes we might annoy each other, but we love each other and it's great. But then what about I who's your you? No. Okay. Now this isn't a, now we're we're going to rabbit trail this and digress. But what about your enemies? Your let's not even say enemies because that's that's just that's really hard. Adversaries. Nemesis. People who are just a little bit weird and funky and different. So again, easy for us to hang out people who come even within your tribe it's hard so but i mean jesus makes the full-on thing saying like your your enemy like pulls on the whole for a lot of people around especially wild goose it would be any supporter of 45 like you start oh i can't do that i can't love trump and his supporters but that's that's ultimately like where love's at so then it creates if we all truly are interconnected it makes me think of it's a rabbi friend that i have i'm not going to mention his name and he works in a place where he has people of different faiths who come to him for advice. And I think I was sharing this with you, Tom, the other day. Mm-hmm. And he, he had somebody who was a Christian, an older person, and they said, I like that you pray for me, Rabbi, but I would, I would really like it if you could use in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. <laughs> and we were, he and I were having this conversation. I looked at him like, holy shit. What'd you, you know, he's like, yeah, I had a holy shit moment as well. I don't know if I can do this based on, and I get it, the history. He said, but then I, I thought about it. I took a deep breath, and I realized in that moment that whatever word that is for her, it's meaningful to her in this context, in this situation of life, and my job is to love her. So I don't have to mean what she means, but I have to, my intentionality has to meet her, in the, and it goes back to those roots. Mm-hmm. You know, in that, right. in that, it, it, I thought that was the most beautiful thing, because it's getting over yourself and loving people exactly where they need to be loved. And that, that is hard, because pride and binaries get in the way all the time. So you're saying I have to love Amy Grant tonight? <laughs> Amy Grant is in the house tonight. Yes, you got to love Amy Grant. Mm-hmm. Baby, baby. Yeah. All babies of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's in, um, in Jesus, we, we translate that commandment a little differently. Uh, we don't say love your neighbor. Um, a, a few centuries before, when, when Hillel, Rabbi Hillel was challenged to explain all of Torah while standing on one foot, said, what is hurtful to you, do not do to others. Hmm. The rest is just commentary, go study. Hmm. 
So, yeah, it's, it's easy, but it's more difficult to do love everybody because what does that mean? But if you put it in the concept, what is hurtful to you, don't do to others. Yeah. So you see, it's, yeah, I don't have to love you, but for that rabbi saying, well, how would I feel yeah. if somebody were praying in a different way that didn't help me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be hurtful. So he doesn't have to love this person. So we don't have to love the Trump 45 supporters. But you don't have to like them. You don't have to like them, right? Right? But if you don't want them to negate you, if you don't want them to shout you down, if you don't want them to go, oh, you're such a terrible person, you're ruining this country, don't say that to them. Yeah. And, and that that's, puts, I think, a different perspective on the love your neighbor when you see it more than just as we define love today as, as this really strong emotion, and that means I have to bring you to my home. No, it doesn't. But just what's not, what is harmful to you, do not do to others. Mm. Yeah, and, and that makes me think about when I think of those individuals that I would um, necessarily call an uh, adversary or an enemy. On my better days, uh, I realize that the thing that agitates me are uh, reflections of my own flaws, are things that I go, oh, wait a minute, maybe it's not that same ideology, but it's that same paradigm just enacting in a different way. Um, and it causes me to do a little bit of self-analysis, again, on my good days. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of my day jobs, because you know, bar chaplain isn't exactly the most high-paying gig. Uh, what? Yeah, I know, right? It turns out startup yeah. ministries, that's, that's bar- not where the money don't is. tip you? Yeah, I know. I, we're, we're working on a system. Uh, anyway, though, uh, one of my day jobs is I actually teach logic. I work with uh, mostly college students and second career folks who are preparing to take the LSAT, the law school admission test, and we talk through logic. And one of the main things I have noticed in working with those students, and once you teach something, sometimes you just kind of start seeing it everywhere. There's this concept in logic that what is the assumption, what is the unstated piece of information that anyone reading this argument is just supposed to know? And, you know, we mentioned we mentioned 45, we mentioned the political stuff. Uh, I started taking those logic principles and applying it to the news around the time that Colin Kaepernick started kneeling during the national anthem. And mm-hmm. so when you start, when you approach someone who seems to hold a different viewpoint than you, because on, on that issue, it's like, yeah, I'd kneel too. By the way, Uncle Rick, if you're listening to this, I've enjoyed being your Facebook friend. Hopefully, we can still be in contact you know, after, we, after you unfriend me. Uh, anyway, though. Uh, Everyone's got to have an Uncle Rick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, though. So in talking to people who had different viewpoints on it, I thought, you know, okay, I can either go ahead and just assume they're racist or, hey, what does the national anthem mean to you? What, what does it signify to you that we play it at a, at a football game? Like, why that venue? Like, what does that mean? What's, what's the purpose of that? And starting from that place of maybe there's an assumption here. Maybe there's something here I'm not understanding. Because when you approach something, even when it's those vicious politics of, okay, I think the person I'm talking to really wants what they perceive as being best for the country, so there's got to be some assumptions underlying this. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can sit with this person and kind of unwrap that. Uh, one time, uh, I've actually, uh, there, there's a forthcoming blog post that's how to talk politics in a bar if you absolutely have to. Uh, but one time I was talking to a guy who led off the conversation with, oh, are you a snowflake? And I'm thinking, like, well, how the hell did we get there? It's I a mean, great conversation yeah, starter. Yeah, yeah, it's like a 31-year-old white guy sits down next to you and it's just like, snowflake? Like, wh- where did this come from? Like, But I thought, you know, okay, I can either get super defensive or I can just ask a question and say, well, what, what do you mean by snowflake? Like, what, what does that term mean for you? I've heard it tossed around by some different people. What do you think of when you say or hear snowflake? And after that, we had a pretty good conversation. I mean, we still walked away from it with completely opposite ideologies, but at least we were able to talk yeah. about it. And you both walked away. Yeah. Which, which is the, the important part. Nose is intact and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So for the sake of time, we're going to jump to the end of this because I think this will take us about 10 minutes, which I think we got about 10 minutes left. Yep. So if, you, if you, we are seeing the world through this relational lens, and this first part is going to be more of Janelle's hot 
this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in first, and the next part will probably be more of me. But let's start with despair. So what makes you uh, in a state posture of despair based on the world that we know now through a relational interdependent lens? What makes you go, oh, shit? The patriarchy. Um, so <laughs> what's really funny about that is when I was an early debater in college, um, I was at a conservative college, and we were very good debaters, but a team from a very liberal school came at us with that, and we're like, what is patriarchy? I don't even know what this is. And it's taken me a long time to figure out the interconnectedness of this type of system where gender is used as a discriminatory remark, a divider, uh, a, a form of oppression. And I think that it is integral to a lot of what is going on in our world right now. Um, it is being used to divide us and set us apart from each other. And um, I'm working on a book project where I'm listening to women tell their stories of what faith in the church has been like. And um, it is shameful what the church has done to women and what that does to the men that are part of that system. And until we can really get to the root of how we treat each other at the basis of levels, and I know that's an important topic here at Wild Goose, whether it is just um, binary gender or non-binary gender and sexual orientation, um, we have got to get past that and heal it if we're going to address a lot of these other issues. And I think race works in a very similar way. Um, it is a full, it's a construct. We are not DNA different mm -hmm. from brown people. There is no such thing. But yet we have ma made something out of it. And so those kinds of categories that are, I would call root categories of difference between people, um, how do you change that? When I can't even get people to listen to the stories of women because after three stories they go, why are those women so angry? Won't they repent? Why do they sound so mean? Okay, if I can't get you past I sound so mean, how are you ever going to hear what I have to say and what my experience has been? Um, and it, I got to be honest with you, it's really discouraging right now um, because it is everywhere. You're doing something about that. Trying. Yeah, which I, I think uh, for all the dudes in the house, come on, let's do this little hello, holla. That's awesome. I mean, we got some hand waves in the back. <laughs> Men, you better applause. This is a good thing. This book, no, this book's important. And I, I was in your session earlier today, and I think people need to painfully, and I say that word because it's painful, hear those stories. Yeah. They should. I think they do. And it's got, it's got to suck. All right. Oh, now uh, you have about five minutes before you get hopeful, by the way. <laughs> but that, there's a little bit of hope there, a sliver. But there's always Amy. There's always Amy Grant. Hell should die. Uh, do we want to keep going down the despair trail, or do you guys want to mm. ask for... Let's ask... You're dying, Ryan. Come on. I am. Uh, this is hard for me. <laughs> can, can my despair and hope be like two sides of the same coin yes. and we flip it that way? You can. Cool. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, too hopeful? Okay, should we should we despair Just a bit longer? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and and well, I don't know. I I don't want to get in the way of others' despair. If if y'all have I, I, stuff to I'll throw in. As, as, as a Jew, I have to despair. You know, it's, mm. it's the old joke. You know, is ugh, the food here is terrible. Yes, in such small portions. <laughs> um, but the the des I have a similar despair, and it, it it's it's not so much that the patriarchy exists. And and by the way, I would add that it's a I don't think that racism is a separate thing. The patriarchy we talk about, we have to recognize, is a white patriarchy. Yes. Okay, that, that's vital. And it's that we don't recognize it when it's there. So it, it, as hard as it is to dismantle that kind of system, we see it in the big important things, but we miss it in the little things. We miss, we miss it in language, we miss it in yeah. advertising. Um, there was an article recently uh, ahead of Wimbledon that Serena Williams is drug tested more than any other tennis player, male or female. Okay. Well, and did she she just had the baby or did Venus? No, this is the, she Serena. She almost died. Yeah. Because no, they this, would not is, listen to her. Right. This is historically over her career. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, and so I, I put on Twitter, I said, uh, I'll take racism in America for 1,000, Alex. Because the article was, she gets tested more and she wants to know why. Yeah. Okay. So everyone's arguing about, well, it's performing enhancing drugs and she's so good. No, it's because she's a black female athlete doing things that no white male athlete has ever done. Yep. Yep. And it's when we miss those going, ah, the assumptions or the warrants in the Toolman argument, as we say in, in the rhetorician world. You know, it, it's hard enough to, to oppose the system when we're so in it that we don't see it. And, and it's in the little ways that they're going to kill us, not the big ones. Yep. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Or Tom, yeah. turn us Tom, around. Go ahead and yeah, flip the no, coin. No, no, so I just, I'm just curious. Like, what are what are we doing right now? And Janelle, we did hear from you, which is an act of change and hope in the world. What can you do for knowing what we know about the world and the despair of the interconnectedness that makes you say, "I can do this in my community. I can do this with the influence that I have and, and the people around me." More silent disco. And I'm actually not <laughs> kidding. I find dance to be a highly unifying and meaningful social interaction that we need to do more of. I understand there are people that hate dancing. Um, with Andy, we just give him more alcohol. <laughs> but, but, but if you can dance and if you're willing, do it. Because you will find that you will make a connection with people in those moments that makes no logical sense that will change the way you experience the world. And to piggyback on that, that it's a, it's a connecting that's done more than just with words, more than just with your brain. Speaking of brainless activity, I love the sports. Yeah. But and we, there's something about when you get together with people and you're high-fiving. Have you ever been to a game and you're hugging and high-fiving people that probably have this ideology and this political affiliation that's completely opposite of you? It happens all the time. Uh, so yeah, anything that you can find that makes you – how about celebrating life a bit? And even if it's a stupid football game, which I love, but it's stupid. <laughs> I'm married to a Packers fan. There's, I've learned that there's no such thing as a stupid football game. They, they all matter. That's, no, they do. I'm a Cowboys yeah. fan. Uh, <laughs> and, and you have no despair? Yeah. <laughs> 23 years and counting? Yeah. I should talk. I'm a Dolphins fan. So. Mm. 73, 74. How's it? Mm. Ooh, yeah. That's a long drought. That's a long drought. <laughs> Any other things that you can do right now that you are doing, that you're seeing? Um, well, to sort of piggyback with Silent Disco for, for us and our podcast and our listeners, it's the Cigar Lounge. And it's not literally the Cigar Lounge. It's not literally the, the disco. It's not literally the sports. It's find places where you can have relationships. And as, especially when there's the other there. Because believe me, in a Cigar Lounge, there are some that are, you know, you do not want people to know who you voted for either way. Yeah. Uh, but usually for most people when they're, they're in there they're enjoying the cigar it's a very relaxing thing and the conversation is about the cigar and all those other things go away so I would say any place you can find where you just see another person and they see you as another person at the bar uh, then and, and there are more and more of those we're, we're doing something It's not exactly what you guys do. We're doing it in Asheboro at our sponsor, Four Saints. Um, he believes, Joel McCloskey, the owner, believes that the pub needs to be that center of the community. And back in 2016, he started drinking liberally. No, he did not start drinking liberally. He started a group called Drinking Liberally because Asheboro is in the middle of an incredibly red county. He said, there's got to be some place where people can come and say, I don't like Trump and not have the beer mug smashed in their face. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, we're going to do that. And, and, and now he's approached um, Chris and I and, and um, Kristen Mitchell and her husband, uh, Father Joe Mitchell, who do the beer and hymns in Ashboro, mm -hmm. to do drinking religiously. And to create this space where we can come and say, okay, you know, let, let's be interfaith, let's talk, let's be human together and drink a beer. And we may get into some deep theological discussions, we may not, we may just sit with each other in fellowship and drink a beer. I see a future collaboration camp with mm -hmm. alcohol and cigarettes in the future. Cigars. Cigars. Cigars, cigars. cigars. not cigarettes. No, 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 cigarettes not allowed. People don't smoke cigarettes anymore. It's yeah. the 1990s. There actually is a Christian cigar <laughs> shop right up the street from my house, it's called Holy Smokes. 
I like it. It's out there. Yeah. Well, we do. We do. Uh, we do holy herfing here at the Goose. So. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love so it. more interfaith, more interreligious, more interpolitical, and then eventually we can and drop kill all your those labels at the same time. Drink, mm-hmm. dance, watch some cowboys and dolphins and Packers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And. Yep. Silent disco all night long. Mm-hmm. And how about get in touch with the earth a bit? I'm not a big gardening person, but I have friends that are. Even that, just go out and garden. That's going to get you in touch with the world around you in a way that maybe people won't. <laughs> if you don't like people. I don't know anybody around this table that would say that. <laughs> no. Just a jab. Oh. All right. Thank you all for listening, for being here. Thank you. And thank if you, you want to learn more, just go to brewtheology.org. We're on Facebook and Instagram at brewtheology, Twitter, brew underscore theology. And that's it. Share it. Peace. Cheers. Yeah.